the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. I'll wipe away every stain. I'm not what I used to be because I don't have to be the old man inside of me. His day is long dead and gone. I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same. And that hope will carry me home. I am Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 6, what has been called the most theological book in all of the Bible, a book that is all about what it means to be saved. So it should be, it should be fitting for those of us who have gathered here. Most of us would profess to be those who have that relationship with God, who are saved, and, and yet we struggle, don't we? Do you ever have those moments where you don't act like you're saved? I have to tell you, I'm in that category. There are times when I feel like I've blown it. I've messed up and I've done it so many times. I just want a do-over, a start-over. I want a fresh beginning. I really want a brand new me. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we look at Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 and eventually Romans chapter 8. I was talking with a friend earlier in the week, and he's been a great friend. I love him dearly, and we were just having kind of a man-to-man conversation, and he said, Paul, I, I love Jesus. He's everything to me, but man, there's some of these things that just seem to control me. They, they seem to have power in my life, and I, I keep falling again and again in the same way. Maybe you can relate to that. You're, you're fighting the same old battles again and again. Today, what I want you to understand from the Word of God is that you may be fighting battles that have already been won. So I want to help you readjust your life according to God's plan and what His Word says you can experience as a child of God. It was several years ago that one of my good friends, Benji Cowart, he helped write a song that then Big Daddy Weave kind of made well-known in the Christian world. Maybe you can relate to some of these lyrics. It says, seems like all I can see is the struggle. I'm haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. I'm bound up in shackles of all of my failures, wondering how long is this going to last? Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I believe that's what God wants you to hear today. You don't have to keep fighting the same old fight over and over and over again. That song could have come straight out of Romans chapter 6. So here's what I want to do. I want to just ask one more time that God would speak to us through his mighty word. And then I want to just tell you what he says in Romans 6. Let's pray. Father, 
Oh, God, what an amazing time of worship we've already had in your presence. We believe you are powerful. Just the name of Jesus, as we've sung, has deep meaning and impact in our life. But Lord, we also believe your word is powerful and true, able to cut us, to impact us into the deepest parts of our lives. So do that right now, giving us openness in every area of who we are, Lord. Teach us what we need to know. Give us what we should have. Make us who we should be for your glory. Start with me, Lord. I want to walk in victory in all areas of my life. God, I pray that you would save somebody today because we gather together and your word is preached. God, I pray that more than anything, the name of Jesus would be magnified as your word is proclaimed. And Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to your lips. And I would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 6 and verse 1, but I just want to remind you where we've come through. The, the first five chapters of Romans are all about what God has accomplished for us. We've kind of summed it up in one word, right? The word justification. He justifies us. He takes us who are sinners and makes it just as if we've never sinned. But if you're not careful, here's what happens. Because it's happened to some of you, and, and this is the problem we're going to uncover today. You've looked at your salvation experience as if this is a, a one-moment thing that gives you simply fire insurance. It, it kind of guarantees your ticket to heaven. And so that happened at some point in your life, but now you're going through the struggle of life, and it's just not all adding up. It's not making sense, and you're messing up again and again and again because you're thinking, like some could think from Scripture, that you go from that moment of justification, justification, I am saved, straight to glorification, which we say, I will be saved, which is heaven, and you skip over that mighty important thing, which is called sanctification, which is I am in this process of becoming more and more like Christ. So, Chapters 1 through 5 deal with what God has accomplished for us. And then beginning in chapter 6 and verse chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see what God accomplishes in us. So this should be really relevant to all of our lives. Here's what God wants to do in and through you, beginning in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is the word of God. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now... Just so that you understand how silly that sounds. It would be as if after I preached and then we sang the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that you came up after church and said, Now, Pastor Paul, are you saying that because of God's amazing grace and what he makes available to me, I can do anything I want? What do you think I would say if you asked that question? <laughs> you're unanimous, you're, and you're correct. I would say no. And yet, this is the balance that Christ's followers have struggled with really for a couple of thousand years. We hear the truth of the gospel of God's grace, and it seems like we err on one side or the other. We either look over here and we become legalistic because it just sounds too good to be true. And, and so we just focus on those laws and our desire to fulfill the law. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we get overcome with liberalism. 
we believe since grace abounds and praise the Lord, party on, sin abounds. And we can do whatever we want to no effect. Now, why would he begin chapter 6 this way? Well, first, I have to remind you, in case you didn't know this, um, the chapters and the verses, they were added later. So this is a letter. Paul didn't divide it this way. So what came right before this? Look at chapter 5, verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Now, just a reminder where we've come from, uh, we were taught through the book of Romans that we were not given the law so that we would be able to fulfill the law. Because God knew we would never do that. We would always fall short. We would always miss out on fulfilling the law perfectly. So why do we have the law? The law shows us how much we need God and his grace. The, the law shows us that we are sinners. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if we just stopped with the law showed me I'm a sinner and that was the end of the story, that would be a sad story. Say that's a sad story. But this is good news. It's not a sad story. So where sin increased, grace increases just as more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That sounds too good to be true. It sounds like, wow, even though we're sinners, we've got God's grace. It does sound too good to be true, but it is true. So you can imagine the people begin to ask, man, can we just party hardy? Can we just do what we want? And so <laughs> it doesn't take long. Listen to Paul's answer. Verse 2. By no means. He knew, just as you knew, I would say, no, of course not. Not a chance. No way, Jose. I mean, no, nada. However you say it in whatever language, the answer is no. We died to sin how can we live in it any longer? He answers in the strongest terms. And why does he answer so strongly? Don't miss this. It's because we died to sin. If you are a Christ follower, the biblical teaching is that you died to sin. And that's important if you're going to do better in understanding how it means how you live this godly life what does it mean to die to sin well before you can understand what it does mean let me tell you what it does not mean and the best way to summarize this i found from pastor and theologian tim keller he says first of all it does not mean that we no longer want to sin <laughs> we wish it meant that right in fact, uh, one of my friends would always say, when, when, we when we're saved, it changes our want to. And I've struggled with that. I know what he's trying to say, but I, I, I struggle with that because sometimes I find myself wanting to sin. Anybody else in that category? Our, our want to is not a, well, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes into us. And so then when we take that step, we begin to experience conviction, but we still struggle with that because sometimes we do want to sin. Secondly, he says it does not mean we should just no longer ought to sin because that, that's not really saying anything. He doesn't say you ought to be dead to sin. Now, this is not something that's about your preference, nor, number three, does he say we're slowly moving away from sin. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. 
It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I remember about 20 years ago, sweet godly lady just came from a different theological perspective where she felt she could lose her salvation in Christ. And so we were talking about that one day, and I said, Miss Leela, she's an older lady, and man, I, I so respected her, but I said, Miss, Miss Leela, um, you know, if, if there's something you can do to lose your salvation, then that implies there was something you could do to earn or deserve your salvation. I, I said, Miss Leela, you don't think that on this side of heaven you could ever become sinless, do you? And she said, oh, yes, that, that's what I'm striving for. And that sounds good. We just know it's not possible because we're still coming from that flesh of Adam. We are all sinners. We're always going to fall short on this side of heaven because we are being sanctified. We've not yet been glorified. So why I want to look more and more like Christ, being dead to sin doesn't just mean that I gradually get better. Number four, it also does not mean I've renounced sin. And and some of us think that way, that I'm going to conquer this thing by just saying, I don't like it. Well, I'm glad you don't like it, but you're not in the mafia. You can't say, you're dead to me, sin. It just doesn't work. That's not what this means. In fact, he's not even saying that we're no longer guilty, though that's true. If you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you've looked to Jesus for your salvation, you're no longer guilty. But this is much more than that. What is it? This is saying that the moment you become a Christian, you're no longer under the ruling power of sin. And let me see if I can explain that. Here's the first thing I want you to know. There's been a death and a change in monarchy that directly affects you. There's been a death and a change in in monarchy that directly affects you. I know what some of you are thinking, but unless you're a citizen of the United Kingdom, I'm not talking about the death of the queen. Now, that's fascinating, isn't it? And and someone asked me this week, I wonder why so many people over here are so fascinated with the royals, with the crown. And I've got a side thought on that. I think it's because we're created with this void in our life that we we know only can be met by a sovereign leader. And so what we do is is we look as we go throughout life to put things or people into that role as king or queen of our life. And so we're kind of fascinated with that idea. And yet the reality is what Scripture teaches is the only thing that's going to meet that sovereign need is our sovereign God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. That's why I'm reading through Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, the prophet, over and over and over again, he just says, the sovereign Lord. You see, there's got to be a point in your life where you recognize there is a sovereign and Jesus is the sovereign. But this week we did watch as as so many 
mourned the death of, of Queen Elizabeth. I was in uh, Great Britain this summer, and we went to Windsor Castle. I think I showed you a picture a couple of weeks ago, and I stood at the window and looked across the courtyard to where the queen was. She was in residence. She was there. And I asked one of the helpers, "How do you have you ever seen the, the queen come and go? And they said, yeah, we know she's moving if, if the green jaguar, the G, green jag, if it's driving out, we know the queen's in there. Well, the, the queen died. There was a death. And instantly, instantly, in that system, there was a new monarch. The moment she breathed her last breath, her her son Charles became the king. There were some formal proceedings this weekend. There will be more formal proceedings in the future. But the monarchy did not have to wait on that. The monarchy changed instantly after there was a death. Here's what Paul is saying. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only took the penalty of sin from you, he changed the ruling power of sin in this world. That's why he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, where, oh, death is your victory, where, oh, sin is your what? sting. Where's the power of sin? No, the power of sin changed when Jesus died on the cross. There was a death, and that death changed who was in charge. Sin no longer is ruling on this earth. Though it's still present, it does not have rule. It doesn't have the rule it had before the death, the burial, and the resurrection. As we read in chapter 5 and verse 21, where sin reigned, it no longer reigns. Sin is not reigning on this planet. And this is important because there's some of us that we feel like sin is still reigning in our life. You're like my friend or like I sometimes feel. I, I, I know I've given my life to Christ. But this, this old thing, it's like this old dog that just keeps coming, running after me and won't let loose and... Uh, what's the problem? Let me see if I can illustrate what Paul's saying here. Another cultural reality of our present day is that it's 9-11. And so something happened after 9-11. Our country went to war. And so U.S. troops invaded the country of Afghanistan. And it was for a purpose. It was to remove the leadership of that country and to place new leadership in there. And so as a result of that war, the, the Taliban and, and Al-Qaeda were, were taken out of power. They no longer had the leadership, the governing, the ruling power. But they were not abolished from the country. In fact, they just retreated to the desert, right? And hid in caves. And so over 20 years, a lot of American soldiers served there, even some here with us today. We're so grateful for the service. But the pain, the havoc, the chaos that was caused still took place. Even though their leadership was not in, in power. Paul was saying when Jesus died on the cross, the power of sin's rule in your life was gone. 
But the presence of sin is not gone. And that power still comes in to wreak havoc from time to time. And you get to decide whether or not you are going to obey that grip of sin in your life. And unfortunately, the Bible says that sometimes you will obey. Sometimes you will do what sin makes you think you have to do. But I'm here to tell you today, like that great Easter song, Arise, My Love Says, sin no longer has a grip on you. Sin no longer has the power that it once had if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Sin can't rule over you. Why? Because someone else has taken rule. Death occurred, and there's a new monarch. It's not just a new sheriff in town. There's a new king in your life. He's over your heart. Sin can no longer hold you captive. But for this to be true, sin has to have died for you. So I want to think about that for a moment. This week at House of Prayer, my favorite service of worship for our church, we looked at John 11 and, and we talked about the story of Lazarus. Do you remember that story? Let, let me just introduce it to you a little bit. John 11 verse 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this is Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and, and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is not just a stranger. This is somebody. These were three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Jesus. He knew them well. So the sister sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is somebody. Jesus didn't just know him. He loved him. And then look at the next verse. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Praise the Lord. Nope. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, watch what happens next. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, now Jesus loved them. So, don't miss that. Now, Jesus loved them. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't sound like love. Why did Jesus do that? Do you know what happened? Did Lazarus get better from that sickness? No, he died and he was buried. And in fact, when Jesus came to town, he went to the tomb and the sister says, Jesus, do not open that tomb because it's going to smell because it's been days that he's been dead. Why did Jesus do that if he loved them? Because he knew something that you and I need to know. He knew that the power of resurrection can only be manifested in the presence of death. There can't be new life until there's been death to the old life. And so what some of you have to resolve, and, and I can't do it for you. It's, it's got to be you as you commune with God. You, you've got to resolve. If, if sin really is controlling me, have I ever died to that old way? Has there been a change of monarch in my life? Is Jesus ruling and reigning for me? There has to be death in order for there to be change. In the reign of your life. So have you died to sin? 
Here's the second truth I want you to understand. Not only there has to be death and a change in the monarchy directly affects you, a change in monarchy results in new identity for you. That's what happens. Um, I have to tell you, I'm one of those. I was kind of glued to the TV watching all of this after the, the queen. And, and, and when I learned about it, instantly everybody began to talk about what King Charles was going to be called. What, was he going to be King Charles III? Or, or there was a slight chance, kind of a dark horse chance, that he might be called King George, King Charles III. Instantly, his identity changed. He made his announcement, and um, we figured out it's not just for him, right? His sons, there's a change there, too. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.